0: We're going to, to go back in uh, into the book of Matthew this morning and uh, and go back into the thirteenth chapter and uh, or sorry in the twelfth chapter my bad twelfth chapter and uh, we're going to start in verse thirty eight of course uh, two weeks ago we finished up at verse thirty seven and jumped out of the book of Matthew for last week for Mother's Day and uh, and I'm going to jump back in. Uh, the 13th chapter of Matthew, uh, again this week. And we're going to start reading at the 39th verse, and we're going to go down to the 45th verse. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 45. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here." The Queen of of the South shall rise up in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be Unto this wicked generation, and that's the end of our, our reading text uh, this morning. And uh, and I guess if uh, if I was pressed uh, to uh, to ascribe a title uh, to my to this uh, to this message this morning, it, it would probably probably well it would probably align somewhere in the neighborhood. Of the fallacy of outward religion, um, the fallacy of outward religion, and uh, and and the the I guess yeah, I would say I would add to that um, the, the import, the fallacy of the import of that, uh, because that was really what the Pharisees and the scribes were guilty of. Um, they were they were guilty of of that to a fault. Uh, and and here they come to Jesus as they oftentimes did, and uh, and I believe to a certain degree they were willing to accept that He was the Messiah in in a certain sense, but in the fact that He refuted what they believed and taught that they couldn't get over, and so because there was this difference uh, of uh, of opinion, right. Um, are not difference of opinion. Actually, let me rephrase that. There was this rejection of their teaching by Jesus. Um, they never could get to a place where they would allow themselves, with the exceptions of, of, of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus to name a few, and there were no doubt others. Uh, but, but as a whole, they couldn't allow themselves to get to a place where they would listen to Jesus, where they would actually allow themselves to be convicted by Jesus, even though He told that, told about their, uh, works and, and what they were, uh, what they were putting their trust in, uh, that it was to be rejected. Uh, they, they just had so much, they were just so steadfast in their formalism that they just wouldn't hear it. And so they come to him and they say, "Well, we, we, if we're, if you want us to believe that you're the Messiah, then here's what we need from you: we need a sign." Now they ask this again over in the 16th chapter of Matthew, they, where they came to him again and they said, "We seek a sign from you." Uh, and in both of those instances, the answer that is recorded is the same, and that is this: that an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. What, though, are the characteristics of an evil and adulterous generation? And I really couldn't believe like, that we were going into Haggai and that we were going to be talking about considering your ways this morning for a Sunday school lesson. But if we go over into the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew, we will read about what it was that they did, right? The Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, why it was that they were repudiated by Christ to the degree that they were. Uh, and it's because uh, they professed religion in one ma- in one way, but then they would not actually observe that, which they said. Now it's really hard for people. In a position of authority to have very much, that for the people to have very much trust or faith in them when they don't observe their own rules, right? And we've seen that happen over the last year time and time and time again where people in positions of authority have put put edicts out that people are not to do certain things all in the name of safety and then as no quicker than the words are out of their mouth they go and do the very thing that they said you can't do that's what the scribes and the Pharisees did jesus said of the scribes and the Pharisees beware of the leaven of the Pharisees right because what was their leaven? Their leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees was hypocrisy. And that was really their great crime. They were the hypocr- they were hypocrites of the highest order. And, uh, and in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, Jesus says this. And I'm going to begin in the 4th the verse. He says, "...for they bind heavy burdens..." "...and grievous to be born, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men." Now there's how you can really tell, isn't it? If if one is professing himself... To be a godly person, and he is one way in public and another way in private, then well that you know that person is a hypocrite of the highest order. And that's what they did. They did all, everything they did, it was for show. It was to be seen. And Here's, Jesus is going to go on, right? He says they make broad their flaccidies. Now, what were the flaccidies? Those were scriptures that were supposed to be in front of them all the time. And what they would do is they would take these certain passages of scripture and they would have them hanging in front of their face, basically, all the time. Uh, So to show how righteous they are. Today we would probably, no not probably, it's definitely called virtue signaling today in the environment that we're in. It's not anything new, it just has a different title, right? They would show how righteous they were by something that they would do, something they would wear. And so they would make broad their flacerties, which is what what Christ says here. Uh, and then he says the borders of their garments and those were the the garments that they wore the borders of it that was what indicated that they were uh um, in the priest uh, or or that they were a pharisee right that they uh, uh, were different set apart from everybody else uh and so uh those fringes that would be the size They would make them much bigger than what Scripture actually says they were supposed to be. That was so people could recognize them. And could recognize them as a rabbi. And, uh, and Jesus goes on and he says this about them. He says, And they love the uppermost rooms at the feast, right? They want to be, they, when they walk in, they want to be acknowledged for who they are and, and their status and their position in society. And they want to be treated in a way which they feel is becoming of themselves. Folks, am I talking about am I talking about Judah in the day of Christ or am I talking about America in the present day? I can't tell. Sometimes I get confused. And so you look here and he says, and then furthermore, they like to have the chief seats in the synagogue, right? They want to sit up front. They want to sit up in the high place and they want to sit there uh, and they want to be able to look uh, really down on everybody else uh, because in their mind... Everybody else isn't as good as they are. They are not as holy as they are. They're not as righteous as they are. They're just not the person that they are. But it goes on, and it says, And they love and the greetings in the markets. They love the greetings in the markets, right? That's why they have those broad flackerties on. And they love to be called... By men, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, and uh, and so that's what they, that's why they would do it. That's why they would show themselves to be that way. That everything they did was not. It was not done in sincerity it was done for show and uh and so that is an evil and adulterous generation right uh, show, you want me to give up all of this well you better give me a you better show me something uh, uh you better give me a reason for why I should do it uh, and and to that point Jesus goes on and he says I'm not giving you any other sign except the sign of the prophet Jonah Now, what's going to happen here is really amazing. Christ is going to foretell that he's going to resurrect. He's going to be resurrected. He's going to tell them that, listen, I'm going to be resurrected the same way Jonah was resurrected, but you guys won't believe me even then because it would cost you the thing you hold dear. The worldliness that they loved. They wanted fame, they wanted to be recognized, they wanted to be lauded, they wanted to be upheld in high esteem uh, in the eyes of men. But the Bible tells us that that which is uh, highly esteemed of man is an abomination to God. Uh, So I don't know why they would want to be seen in such a way uh, that would declare themselves, their very selves, to be an abomination to God, but there they are. They said, I would rather be an abomination to God than to actually humble myself before Him. And so Jesus says, there's no sign except this, the sign of the prophet Jonah, for as he was three days and three nights in the well's belly. Now this is the verse of Scripture that really puts the book of Jonah into context. It's not, we have an imagination uh, when we study the book of Jonah because it's just how we envision it sometimes that Jonah just went into Nineveh hair on fire, laying down the gospel right, preaching salvation to the Ninevites, and we just see him going in like that. Uh, but that's not why the people of Nineveh listened to Jonah. They listened to Jonah because he was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. Fishermen or mariners saw him swallowed by a fish or a whale, right? And then it was upon dry ground that they saw that they, that, that, that whale spit him or fish or whatever it was that that fish spat him out. Can you imagine? (laughs) Now, Brother Oswald's a fisherman. (laughs) Can you imagine that sight? First, uh, because they're mariners, they're going port to port, you see a guy swallowed by a fish, uh, what do you think is the thing you're talking about when you come into port? (laughs) Uh, Let me tell you about the craziest thing I've ever saw in my life. We think of these people in the Bible as different people than we are. We would have looked at that with the amazement the same way that they did, and they would have spread that story everywhere they went, around the Mediterranean and uh, up toward uh, where they were headed. Uh, They would have spread that, 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 that story. It would have been known. And I would say in the very place, because it's only three days. In the same place, wherever they docked and told that story, that fish swam up and on dry ground spat that guy out. And everybody would have really lost their marbles over that, wouldn't they? Holy cow, what are you talking about? This guy was dead. He was eaten by a beast of the sea, and here he is alive? See, they didn't listen to Jonah because he was on fire for the Lord. They listened to Jonah because he was resurrected. Because he was resurrected. He didn't go into Nineveh preaching with his hair on fire. He went to Nineveh because the God said, you're going to go one way or another. (laughs) And now listen to this. And Jesus said, just as Jonah was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth, or be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Right? Jesus is saying is in the same manner and mode at which Jonah was, I'm going to be and I'm going to be resurrected 3 days later exactly the way Jonah was, but he's telling them I'm going to be laid in a tomb because I'm going to be in the heart of the earth and I'm going to come back from the dead literally because we know Jonah didn't die literally, right? He was perceived to have died because he was swallowed by a fish. Then he was perceived to have been resurrected because he was spat out by the fish on dry land. And if, you, if there would have been witnesses. I mean, why else would God have had that whale or fish or whatever it was? Why else would he have had him spit him out on dry land versus just in the sea? So that there were witnesses that would have seen it. Jesus says, I'm going to do the same thing, and you aren't going to believe it. That's the sign. That's your sign. That's your sign, and because you put more stock in your outward show of religion instead of a true inward show of religion, because salvation is of the heart, right? And a carnal mind is enmity against God. you want to get saved, it's a heart work and not a head work. You've got to seek the Lord for salvation. He's who redeems. He's who saves. The power of creation lies with Christ, uh, lies with God, always has, always will. If you're going to be saved, you're going to be, be created a new creature in Christ Jesus. That literally means that you're going to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. I don't have the power to do that. I don't have the ability to do that. Only God does. And so if you're going to be saved, you're going to get saved by the grace of God uh, or you're not going to get saved at all. And so Jonah, in the whale's belly, Jesus says, just the same way I'm going to be resurrected, in the same way that Jonah was, there's your sign, and what are you going to do with it? He's going to tell them what they're going to do with it. You're not going to do anything with it. Because the men of Nineveh, right, who who heard the preaching of Jonah, and now what is it recorded in the book of Jonah that he preached? Yet seven days and Nineveh shall fall, right? He only preached the judgment, didn't he? He said, here's the judgment pronounced on Nineveh. Now why is that? Because that's the part that he liked. (laughs) <laughs> he hated those people go to verse 4 he says I hated them before I left and after I've been there I still hate them <laughs> and I'm going to sit up on this hill until I get some satisfaction girl. I'm going to sit up here till I see you rain fire down out of heaven and do you destroy those people and God said you know what your problem is is that you're not as great as the one who will come after you And Jesus said, Behold, a greater than Jonah is here. See, Jonah went to Nineveh out of obligation. Jesus went to the cross out of love. Jonah went and preached to the Ninevites. Not out of love, out of contempt. Jesus brought the gospel out of compassion, didn't he? That all might be saved. That all might come to the knowledge of the truth. That all might have the ability to repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their soul. And that's what they were rejecting there the scribes and the Pharisees. A uh, greater than Jonah's here. In so many ways was Christ superior to the uh, to the work of Jonah. But Jonah being one of the prophets, they'd look back and sanctimoniously say uh, we would have listened to him, and Christ is proving to them No you wouldn't have. jonah never returned back to his promised back to his kingdom back to his uh uh country right even though he looked and he said was not this my saying when i was in my own country meaning i want to be back home and i want to be back with my countrymen and i don't want to be in this abominable place with these abominable people anymore but we know he never went home because he died and was buried and entombed in nineveh he never went home. And so when people ask me, "Would God ever send a missionary off and have him never return home?" the answer is, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the thing you need to learn, though, is you got to go where God can use you, right? God couldn't use Jonah in his homeland. He needed him in Nineveh. If he'd have stayed there, uh, then what would have happened in the Ninevites, I want to be honest with you, it would have been required at Jonah's hand. Because God said, go, and he said, no. (laughs) That's a plague that we have today. God said, go, and he said, no. (laughs) I'm going to go the other way. Uh, also, other than that, he goes here, he says that the Queen of the South, meaning the Queen of Sheba, uh, and, uh, and there's kind of varying beliefs about where her kingdom was. Uh, some believe it was in Yemen. Some believe it was even further away uh, in, uh, in Sumatra. And, and, and so I believe it was probably more uh, in Arabia somewhere, down in that southernmost part of Arabia. Uh, and uh, and so here you have, uh, you have it said that the Queen of the South, Uh, The queen of Sheba shall rise up in judgment with this generation. Why is that? Why would she have the ability to rise in judgment over this generation? Because listen to what it says in 1 Kings chapter 10. And when the queen of Sheba had heard of the fame of Solomon. Folks, they are living in the day of Christ. They are living in a day when Christ is openly working miracles and his fame is being spread far and wide the queen of Sheba from a distant land hears of the fame of Solomon and concerning the name of the Lord and so she came to test him scripture says she came to prove him with hard questions There's always hard questions in life, right? What's what's the meaning of life? (laughs) What's the purpose of life? Is it to keep gathering stuff? Is it to keep accumulating things? No. Is it an abundance of knowledge? Well, if it's worldly knowledge, no. It's to acquire the knowledge of the true and living God. That's what really matters, isn't it? And if if there's anybody here today, and, and uh, there's uh, you always have to approach it from the standpoint that there is if There's anybody that doesn't know God, it's worth far more than all the spices of India or Asia or wherever it may be. It's worth far more than the most uh, than the than the most precious of gold. Uh, and we read here about this uh, queen uh, of Sheba. It says, and she came to Jerusalem with a very great train. Uh, that's not like a, a bride, uh, uh, you know, with her train following behind her, as we read depicted uh, of the church when uh, uh, when the marriage takes place. Uh, it is more along the lines of the fact that she had a big posse that was traveling with her. She had a big company of people that was traveling with her, and here she comes, and she's bearing, and her camels are bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. We talked about in Sunday school this morning about the verses in Haggai, where Haggai says, you've you've got plenty to eat, but you're not filled. You've got plenty to drink, and, and you're not full. You've got clothes to wear, but you're not satisfied with it. You've got you've got all the blessings of life, but you're unable to see the gratitude in it. The Queen of Sheba comes and she's bearing all these spices and gold and precious stones and she comes to Solomon and what would she rather have than all the gold and all the precious stone and all the finest spices? She said I would rather have an answer to the questions that lie within my heart. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived outside of Christ. Because Christ said a greater than Solomon's here. There's somebody here that knows more than Solomon because he is before the foundation of the world. And so here she comes to Solomon and she communes with Solomon and Solomon tells her, he he told her the answers to all of her questions and there was not anything hid from the king which he told her not he didn't just answer her questions he irrefutably answered her questions if you have questions about what your purpose is the big questions of life they it can't be answered by the the brightest of philosophers among men you have to get those answers from the lord don't you She has one of the greatest responses to the answerings by Solomon. In the sixth verse, she said, She said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. and behold the half was not told me i can tell you about how good god is i can tell you about how good it is to be saved i can tell you as long as the day as broad as the day is long but you know what nothing nothing compares with knowing it yourself Firsthand, nothing in this world compares to it. There is nothing like it. And even though she brought all the gold and all the precious stones and all the spices, she never handed her handed Solomon one thing. And he went ahead and he answered her every question in an irrefutable fashion. You don't have to come and bring a thing for God to answer. Your question. You don't have to come and bring a thing for God to save your soul. It is a good thing to know the Lord. It is... It is something that it should be desired. And here he says that she will rise up because she just heard of a report in her her country which was far away from where Solomon's kingdom was. And she sought it out. And here you have the Pharisees and the scribes and they're in the presence of the incarnate God and he's working all those miracles and they know he's working all those miracles and they say, we don't care. (laughs) we'd rather hold to our tradition than to actually seek the true and living God. Man, that's a horrible place to be, isn't it? That would be a horrible state to be in. But that's where they were at. It does no good to be built up in pride because all that's going to do is cause you to see hell wide open one day when either you die or the Lord comes back and you hear those fateful words, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Then he's going to go into a saying. That's really a condemnation of this bankrupt condition that they find themselves in where he talks about Satan, the unclean spirit, being gone out of a man. And he's referring to them when he says this. uh, And it says, and he walketh through dry places. This is an admonition for those of us that's been saved. When Satan comes about, don't give him place. James said... No, it was Paul that wrote in the Ephesian letter. Let me turn over there real quick. Uh, Ephesians chapter 20, uh, uh, chapter 4. I was wrong. Ephesians chapter 4, and in verse 6, he says, Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of you, for because of these things, cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them? Um... I miss my place here. Hang on, I'm in chapter 5. I didn't mean to be there. I, I missed my place. Chapter 4 was where I meant to be in verse 25. Uh, and it says, Wherefore putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 26 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Verse 27, he says, Neither give place to the devil. That's what I was thinking of. Neither give place to the devil. He's he's comparing them, he's comparing them to Cain. And he's saying, You are Cain's children. And Cain was the devil's offspring, even though he wasn't physically, spiritually he was because he murdered his brother Abel and so here he says let him walk through dry places let Satan walk through dry places that's that's us as he comes walking through don't let him find anything that would keep, that would give him an occasion to be able to find rest. Uh, Satan ought to not find rest among the children of God. He should not be able to do it. And so he says here that he's walking and he's seeking rest, but he findeth none. That means we should always be on our guard at all times to make sure that whenever temptation falls upon us, that we aren't found to be like them. And so here he says this. So then Satan says to himself, I will return into my house from whence I came out. That's back into Judea. That's back into the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the all the uh, things that they believe, the empty shows of religion that they profess. And so here he says, "I will return into my house from which I came out." And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. That's talking about their heart. Uh, it's empty. There's nothing there. It's all cleaned out, uh, and there's nothing to be found. And there's a, and it's garnished. Uh, and and the, so then he goes in. Then Satan goes in, and he taketh with himself seven other spirits. And listen to what he says. More wicked than himself. I didn't think that that existed. But that's what he's saying. He says he takes to himself seven spirits more wicked than himself. Now, I think this is an illustration of Satan's desire to be God. Because God has the seven spirits that are before him, and uh, and Satan, that's where he wants to be. That's what he wants to be acknowledged as. And here he says that the man that finds himself there, and that they enter in and they dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first even so, it shall be unto this wicked generation. What a horrible place that the Pharisees and the scribes were in. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and the free pardon forgiveness of sin... Understand this. Very simply put, there is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. I know we don't like to think of that in this society. We live in a uh, relativist society uh, where there is no right and wrong. But I want to tell you something. Just because among the generations of men, they decree that there is no right or wrong, that's not so with God. There's still right and wrong in the sight of God. Jesus died on the cross out of love that we might have the opportunity to be saved. That you might have an opportunity to be saved. Jesus delivered the gospel to tell you about the mercy from the punishment of the law. And he took all of that punishment upon himself for you. Shouldn't you seek him out? Shouldn't you seek out the Lord for the salvation of your soul? Shouldn't you try to make sure that you know him? That's my message today. Wonder if anybody has a word.